Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity, and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We're so glad you're listening in, and if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.theculture-ministry.com for more information. Ayana Davis suffers from sensory overload and was diagnosed with autism in her early 30s by accident. Did you know that black children are diagnosed with autism three years later than white children? And females are diagnosed later than males. In episode 70, autism advocate, artist, author and actor Ayana Davis shares why this happens while telling her own story. Here's your host, Lisa Mulligan. So today on the podcast, I have an incredible person and I wanted to start with her Instagram handle, which is phenomenally autistic, which I think is so cool. Uh, So welcome to the podcast, Ayana Davis. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. It's good being here. (laughs) I just wanted to, I guess, describe you a little bit or read what you have on your LinkedIn description. And apart from being an autism advocate, you have that you're an artist, an actor, an author, and a dreamer. And I thought that was so beautiful. And for anyone listening, you should go check out Phenomenally Autistic Instagram page. It is one of the most beautifully curated pages and um, it's got so much colour and life and and I I think it's so beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you must be very proud of of that page. But uh, I wanted to start um, because you you are an autism advocate because you have autism yourself. Tell me a little bit about growing up because I know you were diagnosed a little bit later in life. So tell me about growing up and I guess not having a diagnosis um, and what that was like. Well, um, going by like when you're people, I was actually diagnosed later in life, very late. If you go by when people are usually diagnosed, um, the average is about um, 18 months old for, for white children. Black children are usually diagnosed um, three years later than their white peers. So um, why so I was is that? Like, oh, I find it, that fascinating. Um, it's it has a lot to do. It 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 does. It has a lot to do with race, um, especially like if it's like um, they'll see like a white child having like the same struggles as a black child. And like the black child will just be called like bad and combative. And then the white child, you know, they give them a little more grace and they're like, oh, maybe we should talk to the parents and see if there's some other issues going on. And because I've spoken to like so many autistic people since, you know, I, I started advocating and they, they told me people were always like that they're, they were just bad and I, because I have a lot of white supporters and allies and they told me they're like, their kids got diagnosed when they were like one and a half. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 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 uh, it's deep. <laughs> I I find that so awful that 
Yeah. That behaviors in a black child are just they're a bad kid, but behaviors in a white yeah. child will, will take them and we'll get them some support. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even when um okay, so growing up I I always knew I was different. Um, you know, I was just like the, you know, awkward little black black girl, never picked first. You know, when you have like teams and people get to choose who they want yeah. to team, you know, never <laughs> never picked first. Um, I've always had like an eccentric, eccentric like style of like dressing where like sometimes my parents would be like, no, you can't wear that to school. But I think they were just trying to protect me from being bullied, not really knowing that I was being bullied anyway, because sometimes, you know, you don't know you're being treated different. So, um, you know, I really didn't know, but I always knew I was different because sometimes people would speak to me and it would be like overloading my senses so I wouldn't speak back and they'd be like what's wrong with her how come she's not speaking back why'd she just walk away and so I heard a lot of what's wrong with her what's wrong with her and you know back then you know black people really didn't know about autism I always say that when you hear about autism when you think about autism a black face doesn't pop in your head and especially a black woman because sometimes you think of you know black boys and little black boys because a lot of people think that you grow out of autism you do not you're born with autism and you die being autistic so they never think about autistic adults no I think that's so true and I think it's more recently that so many adults and often women are being diagnosed in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and even in their 50s. So what is yeah. it, in your experience, why why do women get diagnosed later in life and not as children? Um, it, well, even little little girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I We tend to have better masking skills. And, um, you know, masking is just like, um, you know, hiding your autistic traits to appear more normal. So girls have better masking skills. So you can't always like look at a girl and tell that there's something different about them. As with the boys, they don't have the good masking skills that the girls have. So it's, it's, it's part of that. And again, you don't always, you don't really think of girls when you think of autism. No, I often think, the face of autism is little boys, little white yeah. boys, actually. Yeah. 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 Wow. So tell me a bit more about some of the, what you liked doing as a child, what you liked doing, I guess, into your teenage years that maybe set you apart from other kids. Um, well, I like to draw. I probably drew more than I talked. Um, <laughs> I would have, like, sometimes I would, like, talk a lot. Yeah. But it and people would like say I was talking back, but I wasn't talking back. I was looking for clarity. Like I was asking questions more than talking back because if I didn't understand something, I wanted to ask the question so I would understand. So a lot of people thought that I was like talking back when I really wasn't. But I would always just like isolate myself and go and draw because sometimes that was a way for me to express myself better than speaking. So I've always drawn like for as far back as I remembered. My dad actually said that like he had a meeting 
And he got to his meeting and he opened his legal pad and I drew all over his notes. (laughs) I was like, well, I'm sorry. At least you had pretty notes. So um, I did my first art show when I was either six or seven and I sold it. I sold pieces at six and seven years old. So um, art's always been a part of my life. I did theater, um, school plays, local theater. Um, I was a part of a theater group in my teens, and I also had a dance program in my teens. So I've always been involved in some form of art. Yeah, you're clearly highly artistic. um, And I think people would be drawn to you because of that. Your, Your expression in the world is so beautiful. Tell me how you did get diagnosed. Um, I was in the hospital because uh, I am chronically ill. So I was in the hospital and there was um, the doctors noticed that there was a disconnect. Sometimes they would speak to me and I wouldn't say anything. So um, I think they just saw the disconnect. So they bought in a team. Um, It was two very wonderful, very kind ladies. And the test was very, very long. But the test wasn't for just autism. It was just like an overall test to see if I had any disorders, any type of delays and things like that. And they were really nice. They let me take breaks because I was getting a little overstimulated. And then the it was either like, it was like two or three days later, or maybe yeah, it was about two days later, um, they came back, they spoke to my treatment team. And of course, my dad, because he was, he's always there. And mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, she's on the spectrum. And that's how we found out. And um, they put me on a medication for it. And um, they referred me to like an autism center. And, you know, that was it. But besides referring me to the autism center, um, but I never went because their main treatment is ABA therapy, which is very frowned upon by autistic adults because um, they kind of force behaviors on autistic people. And um, it's proven to give you PTSD. So we wasn't going to go that right, that route. But we um, we found our own resources because, like, with that being the only resource we had, it was kind of just like, okay, bye. We're just, like, throwing us out there blindly with, yeah. without any other choices. So that's how I got my diagnosis. And what has the diagnosis meant for you? Has it improved your life? You know, are you doing anything differently now that you have a diagnosis? Well, at first it was like, I was like, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm not autistic. So at (laughs) first it was like, I was a little bit in denial. Um, But like that wasn't helping me. So when I started to accept it, um, it helped me to accept myself. And when you accept yourself, you start to love yourself. Because I went through periods of depression and anxiety. Like I still have like really horrible anxiety, but um you know, when I accepted myself, I started to love myself. So um, once you accept it, you start to um, just have a better quality of life because you understand why you're different. You understand Mm -hmm. why you can't tolerate certain things. Like even with food, people were always like, she's so picky and y'all need to make her eat that. And no, like, forcing an autistic person to eat a certain food where they can't handle the smell, the the texture, like that can cause a meltdown. So 
people just don't understand things like that. But now, since I know that I'm autistic, it just makes things easier. I know that if I don't like the smell of the food, I'm probably not going to like the texture and I'm not eating it. So I know <laughs> that if I'm going somewhere with a lot of noise, bring your noise canceling headphones. So I know if somebody's speaking to me and I'm getting overstimulated, you know, to remove myself from the conversation. Sometimes I don't, I, I just have to get away. And it, I know that like seems like very rudely, but then I'll explain the situation. Sometimes before it gets to that point, I'll just explain that, you know, I need a few moments to myself. So it just, it just helped me better understand and better handle situations better. So um, it just made life better. Yeah, that's awesome. And when did you decide to be an autism advocate and really be very public about being autistic? Um, I decided I wanted to advocate in 2019, but then the pandemic started. So I was kind of like, I didn't, it kind of paused, but I really started speaking about it in at the end of 2020, I believe. I'm not really good with dates, like exact dates. That's okay. <laughs> but I believe it was the end of 2020, but I really got active um, last year in 2021. I became very, very active. So like I've been doing it very heavily and actively for almost two years. Yeah. I think it's amazing when people take something that could be seen as a disadvantage or being different in the world and really go full public with it and really share because I think it helps so many people. I um sometimes it can be like a little overwhelming because um I did write um an article and I got like backlash from it because I was speaking about black women um you know not getting resources being overlooked just being called angry black women when they're really undiagnosed autistics so sometimes it can be overwhelming and at times I'm like uh I don't want to do this anymore but then I get messages from parents and they're like thank you you're helping me understand my child you're helping me know what my child is going through and things like that like keep me going and keep me wanting to continue because I don't want these autistic children to grow up the way I did and have to struggle so much so if I can make it a little bit easier for somebody else even if it's just one person then I feel like I feel like it's all worth it it's worth all the the pain and it's worth the internet drama (laughs) (laughs) there's so much drama on the internet it's really hard (laughs) Yeah, I try to stay away from that. If people come to my page, like being rude and disrespectful, I just block them and keep it moving. Yeah. I think that's the only thing you can do to really preserve your mental health. I think that's really Yeah, because some people are just trolls because like, I, I really don't like checking DMs, but you know, sometimes I do it and it's people that aren't following me that have like the most to stay and I'm like well are you trolling hashtags because how did you even find me Mm. and you took you took time out of your day to send me a hateful message so like people like that I don't understand like get a life go away yep yep so true would you talk a little bit about the work you do because you 
you know, as an artist, you've done some really amazing things. So, so tell us a bit about your work. Um, well, I've illustrated, I think you, where we left off, I had illustrated 17 books. Yes. But now it's 19. So, um, I, I like illustrating books because it's another form of expression. Um, and I like to work with authors who give me like creative control because sometimes you get an author who is just so controlling. It kind of takes away your um, creative freedom and you feel more pressure and that's kind of stressful. So I, I love working with authors who give me like complete creative freedom and creative control. Um, I like doing the coloring books because people say that coloring is therapeutic and yeah. it is because like when I do my art, I do art therapy. It's, it's part of my art therapy. So it is, it is, it's, it's therapeutic. So that's why I like um, making coloring books because it can relax people. Um, it can calm them down. It can just give them things to do when they're feeling restless. So um, I didn't start out thinking that um I was going to illustrate 19 books hmm. I just did one and was like okay what's next but I didn't know I was going to do this many yeah that's such an incredible achievement to have your work in print and many of your books are children's books aren't they yeah actually all of them are all of them wow I I just think that's uh incredible with your advocacy work, do you work with organizations or, you know, do you speak, you know, are you doing any work, I guess, in that space as well? Um, I did two, I believe, um, like panels with the um, Sanford Autism Center. They're based in California. Um, they give families resources about um you know, children who may need an IEP and um, other like disabilities and stuff like that. So that's a really good resource for parents. Um, I'm actually doing a panel next Friday and it's going to be my first in-person panel. So I'm a little nervous about that, <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's for um, Disability um, Employment Week. Um, because, you know, people think people who are disabled can't do anything. Like there are some people who are severely disabled and I, I really don't like function and labels, but just to better describe it, mm -hmm. um, who can't do like, like labor and like can't get jobs and stuff like that. But there are some disabled people who can do things. Um, you can't like like stigmatize an entire community because of a few people yeah. or a certain group just like you can't stigmatize autism because some people may or may not be able to do certain things that others can't yeah and it's so true so true I wanted to ask you about your dad but if you don't want to talk about him that's okay but you've mentioned him a couple of times and I wondered if you would talk about the support he's given you um well yeah like as far as like support um he's my main support system um he of course was there when I got diagnosed 
Um, and when I got like diagnosed, they wanted to do, um, I can't think of the exact name, but they wanted to do like this electric shock therapy on me. And he was like, absolutely not. You're not doing that to my daughter. No. Um, <laughs> he brings me to all of my doctor's appointments. Um, he's the one who found the therapies that have helped me most, which is CBT therapy and DBT therapy. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy and DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. So he did like the, the work to find the resources, my artwork. He's very supportive of, of that, of course. Um, I, I'm not allowed to drive, so he takes me to get my art supplies or um, he's just like, go on Amazon and get whatever you want, whatever you need to get your <laughs> supplies. Um, when I had my dance program, um, because I worked with the theater group and I was the head of the dance department, but then I had my own um, group. Um, he was very supportive of them. It was like with anything I do, he's my biggest cheerleader. Yeah, wow. Are you not able to drive because of autism or because of your illness? Um, no, not because of autism. Um, there are actually um, many autistic people who can drive. You have to be able to go a year without losing consciousness to be able to drive and I you know seizure disorders and I also have fainting spells so you know um (laughs) that's annoying I I just just can't I just can't hit that goal and at first (laughs) I was really irritated I'm like this isn't fair but at the same time I had to think about why would you want to do that? And I'm not going to put other people's lives in danger because I want to go joyriding. So, yeah, you know, you just you just have to accept it, take it for what it is. Yeah, and and you have different strategies. My 13 uh, year old son is vision impaired, and it's very unlikely he would be able to drive because of his vision. But you know, there's other ways to get around in life, and yeah, yeah. Oh, th- thank you for sharing that. I feel like when I when I talk to you and when I look at your Instagram, for example, it looks like you've really grown into yourself and into your style, which many people do when they're going into their 30s and 40s. Does it feel like that for you? Do you feel like you've really become who you were going to be? Um, I feel like I became more of myself when I accepted my diagnosis. Um, because I knew I knew why I was the way I am um because again when you don't know who you are you kind of don't know which way to go in life so I I really don't think it has anything to do with age um Mm -hmm. again because I am developmentally delayed so I'm not on the level of other people in their 30s so um I think it's just just learning who I am and kind of that kind of brought me out of my shell, but I've never been shy. You know, I've just, just, like I said, been, been the awkward, the awkward person. <laughs> um, you, you've mentioned that you're developmentally delayed. You've mentioned that a couple of times, but what, you know, sitting in front of me, you are incredibly articulate and put together. So how does that play out for you? Um, I actually had a speech impediment uh where I stuttered like every sentence was freaking stuttering 
but <laughs> I did speech therapy, which okay. really, really helped um, a lot of it. You know, of course, my dad, we did it on our own, but lots of books, you know, flashcards, all that, all those wonderful things, because I had a, um, you know, we spoke about the seizures, um, really bad uh, period of time during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, that can cause stuttering, speech impediment, uh, memory loss. You know, I, I lost my memory for a while. So that brought me back to the speech impediment. And I feel like after, like, relearning, like, basic speech patterns, I speak better now. So that's, you know, that's that. But developmentally delayed, like, doesn't really mean that you, um, you know, you speak like a five-year-old it just basically means that you're um you're not on the level of your peers like and I also had um a developmental regression not really sure why so like say I was like operating on like the the level of like a 16 year old with the regression I just was like it would mean that I was like operating on the level of like a 14 year old. So it just means that sometimes okay. you have more childlike behaviors. Um, like I can't fill out a job application on my own. I can't like make my own doctor's appointments. Um, I also have a dissociative disorder, so I can't touch the stove. I can't iron my own clothes. It, it's it's a lot of different things mixed in there together people are like so, what like I I can't cross the street by myself so it's it's you know like okay. people wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't know those things unless I told them yeah that is so true because you're presenting as yeah really smart and really articulate and which Thank I'm you. sure you are um and also on the ironing thing I mean who enjoys ironing anyway <laughs> Yeah, like when I had like a photo shoot, I was like to my dad, I was like, don't burn my outfit. Because like, you know, like how, you know, men, they don't care if they burn their clothes. And I'm like, don't burn my outfit. So but he did a really good job. And then one of my shirts was white. I was really like, don't burn my white shirt. But he did a good job. Yeah. And you have some beautiful outfits. So I'm Thank with you. you with, you know, not wanting them to be burned. <laughs> I just want I wanted to finish with, Maybe, do you have any advice for people who are maybe thinking they could be on the autism spectrum or maybe have just been diagnosed? Do you have any advice to give them about that journey? Uh, yes. If you, well, most people who think they're autistic, they are or they have some other type of neurodiversity because autism isn't the only neurodiversity, you know, there's um, ADHD and, you know, stuff like that. Cause I met a few people because it was um, dyslexia awareness month and I'm dyslexic. So um, I met a few dyslexic people who are also autistic. And then I met a few who think they're autistic. So I would just say um, first go to your therapist and um, express your concerns to your therapist and um, they should refer you to where you need to get diagnosed and if you go and you feel that you didn't you don't get the answers that you're looking for get a second opinion like don't settle for something that you're not happy with get a second opinion if you're still not happy get a third opinion so I would just say (laughs) 
you have to continue to advocate for yourself until you get the answer that you're looking for. And um, for people that are newly diagnosed, I would say find the therapy that works for you like we did. And I would say just start learning about yourself. Um, you will learn that um, since you now know why you react a certain way to certain things, why you don't react a certain way to certain things, you'll know how to handle it better because there's information out there about it. And, and the, the biggest thing is now you'll know why. Now you'll have answers. So life will become easier. That is such wise advice and thank, thank you. you so much for sharing your journey and your advice and everyone needs to go follow you on social media so you're on instagram <laughs> you're on tiktok which is my favorite platform at the moment i'm a little <laughs> addicted uh you want any other platforms um youtube youtube uh, phenomenally autistic and facebook phenomenally autistic fantastic well, thank you so much for your time today. And I'm sure everyone would loved listening to you. At The Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.theculture-ministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learnt something, please share with your friends on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find a dog called Diversity. Diversity.